0: One of the new provisions of the America Invents Act is Interparte's Review. This replaces Interparte's Reexamination and provides the opportunity to challenge patents that have been issued at any time during the life of the patent. Finnegan partner Anthony Tritico joins us to discuss the Interparte's Review process and how it can provide an alternative to litigation. Anthony, could you start by providing an overview of the Interparte's Review provision?
1: The inter-parties review provision replaces the previous inter-parties re-exam. Uh, it provides you a way to challenge the validity of a patent at the patent office. The idea behind an inter-parties review really is, is an alternative to litigation in order to challenge validity. Uh, as I mentioned, it replaces inter-parties re-exam, and like inter-parties re-exam, it's available anytime during the life of the patent. You can only challenge the patent using a printed publication or patent, and only for prior art purposes, so novelty and obviousness. It allows you to challenge any patent, so there's no requirement that it be a pre-AIA or post-AIA patent. Uh, Any patent during the life of that patent, you can challenge. Uh, It also improves, I think, upon interparties re-exam in several ways. The timing Uh, I think is a big improvement. By statute, it has to be completed in 12 to to 18 months. Uh, Interparties re-exam can can sometimes take uh, several years or more. Here you're going to have a proceeding where you're going to have a final decision from the Patent Office in 12 to 18 months. That, of course, is appealable directly to the Federal Circuit. You assume the Federal Circuit is going to have a review of the case within 12 months. Uh, you're talking about two years, a so little more than two years to final decision. That's a big improvement over inter-parties re-exam. It also provides for some discovery, which I think is an improvement over inter parties re-exam, and it also is a truly adversarial proceeding. This is true third-party participation in the validity of the patent. It provides an opportunity for the challenger to depose, for example, an expert who may have put forth a declaration during the proceeding, and provides, as I said, for some limited discovery. So it is, I think, an improvement over inter parties' re-exam and provides the challenger with a lot of alternatives and a lot of options with regard to challenging the validity of a patent.
0: What are the benefits of this provision, say, versus litigation?
1: One, for example, is the decision maker. The decision maker in inter-parties review is going to be the patent trial and appeal board. Now, the patent trial and appeal board are experienced patent attorneys who have technical backgrounds, considering that sometimes in litigation or before a jury who is going to decide validity, juries probably not technically trained and, and isn't familiar with patent law, uh, as a challenger, the idea that you're going to have a special patent judge who understands the technology potentially being your decision maker, I think provides a huge benefit potentially over litigation. Uh, another benefit over litigation is cost. The average cost of an IPR is probably in the neighborhood of 400000 to to $600,000. Uh, that is a factor of 10 less than the cost of litigation. So it it does provide uh, a lower cost, while not inexpensive, but a lower cost option to litigation. Uh, I mentioned the speed already. Uh, You're going to have a final decision uh, within 12 to 18 months. Uh, There's not many district courts in the United States where you're going to have a decision that quickly. There's also a benefit for claim construction uh, in terms of demonstrating the invalidity or proving the invalidity of a patent. It would be construed uh, under the Patent Office standard of broadest reasonable interpretation, uh, which can provide uh, more options or an advantage for invalidating the patent. Also, since it's a patent office proceeding, there's no presumption of validity like you would have in litigation. So as a challenger, I think those are all benefits over being in a litigation.
0: Anthony, what are the differences between inter partes review and post-grant reviews?
1: Inter review, the, the first benefit everyone will see right off the bat is the timing. Post-grant review is available only during nine months after issuance. So very similar to a, a European opposition, you must file the post-grant review within nine months after issuance of the patent. Inter review is any time after the post-grant review period. So it would be more than nine months and for the life of the patent. Also inter-parties review, if we're talking about a pre-AIA patent, a pre-AIA patent isn't available for post-grant review, but it is available for inter-parties review. President Obama is about to sign a technical amendment to the AIA which would make inter-parties review available from the date of issuance throughout the life of the patent for a pre-AIA patent. So, two timings. If you're talking about a pre-AIA patent, inter review would be available any time after issuance. If we're talking about a post-AIA patent, uh, inter review would be available after the post-grant review period and then for the life of the patent. So, in essence, uh, after nine months after issuance of the patent. Another difference is the basis for a challenge. A post-grant review, you can raise any issue of patentability, uh, 112, enablement, written description, prior art. With inter-parties review, as I mentioned before, you are limited to prior art challenges, so novelty and inventive step, or obviousness based on a printed publication. So your options for challenge are more limited in inter-parties review. Also, the threshold for instituting an inter parties review, at least on paper, is different. For an inter parties review, the threshold for the Patent Office to institute the inter parties review is a reasonable likelihood that the petitioner would prevail. For a post-grant review, it's more likely than not that at least one claim challenged in the petition is unpatentable. In practice, I'm not sure that there is a a true difference between those two standards, but at least on paper, uh, the way the statute was written, there is a difference.
0: Are there any drawbacks to keep in mind when considering Interparte's review?
1: Absolutely. Like any proceeding, I think you have to weigh the benefits of the inter parties review versus the drawbacks. There's also more benefits sometimes to, to litigation than to inter parties review. So, of course, you're going to want to balance inter parties review versus litigation. One of the big drawbacks, and I think the major drawback to inter-party's review, is the estoppel effect. There is an estoppel if you are the petitioner for filing an inter parties' review. And the estoppel is that any issue that you raised or reasonably could have raised to the PTO, you are barred forever as the petitioner from raising that uh, against the PTO uh, in a district court, in an, an ITC litigation. So any proceeding afterwards, if the inner parties Review is instituted, if you didn't raise the issue during the inner parties' Review, uh, you're not going to have an opportunity to raise it later unless you can meet that standard of reasonably could have been raised. Uh, that's a pretty difficult standard. Now for example in an in inner parties review uh, you can't raise enablement so you can't raise written description. So in a litigation you would still have those defenses available to you uh, if you happen to lose the inner parties review but issues of novelty and obviousness that you reasonably could have raised during the inter parties review, you will be stopped as the petitioner uh, from raising that in uh, later litigation. Now, it only applies to the petitioner so it only applies to the person actually filing the inter parties review against the patent, but that is a significant downside or potential downside to inter parties review that the petitioner has to consider before filing. The other is the threshold showing. A lot of people who may be familiar with, for example, a European opposition, where there isn't really a threshold showing to get into the proceeding. You file the opposition and it's going to move forward. Here, the Patent Office is going to look at whether or not you've met the standard of a reasonable likelihood that the petitioner would prevail. If you don't meet that standard uh, in the Patent office eyes, then the inter-party's review isn't going to be instituted and that decision is not appealable. So that potentially is a real drawback. If for some reason, you don't meet that standard in the eyes of the board who's looking at it. You have no recourse. Now, of course, the estoppel effect wouldn't come into play because the inter- parties review was never instituted. But at the end of the day, if you didn't meet the standard of getting into the inter- parties review, that's not going to look very good later, potentially in litigation, if someone goes to assert this patent against you.
0: Finally, have you seen many interparties reviews filed to date?
1: Because we're still within four months of the September 16th date when Interparties review was available, we don't have many decisions on those petitions. In other words, we don't know how many of those the Patent Office is going to institute. Uh, right, as of right now, there, as I said, '96 filed uh, one trial has been instituted. So one proceeding is moving forward and none have been refused. So in essence, they've made a decision on one of the 96. So we'll have to keep our eye on that moving forward.
0: Our guest has been Anthony Tritico, a partner at Finnegan, one of the largest IP law firms in the world. For more commentary on intellectual property news and issues, to listen to other podcasts and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan.